0: We remain standing for the reading of the gospel from Luke's gospel, the second chapter, beginning at verse 41. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. That's one word for it. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Again, one translation of what she said. Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he said to them then he went down with them and came to nazareth and was obedient to them his mother treasured all these things in her heart and jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor this is the word of the lord be to God. please be seated I need to confess at the beginning, I have a little trouble with this passage. It hooks me in a couple of ways. Years ago, when my youngest daughter was about five or six years of age, we had two services at the church we served in Missouri, and I would go to the early service and do the second service and then come home and Mary Helen would bring the girls, and on this particular Sunday I got home and Mary Helen said, where's Beth? Well, she's with you. No, she's not. Where's Beth? It was about a ten-minute drive from our house to the church. I made it in four. (laughs) All the way, rehearsing scenarios in my mind, best-case scenario, worst-case scenario that kept morphing into the worst-case scenario. Best case was that she was sobbing uncontrollably about being abandoned by her doofus father. And worst case was, she wasn't there, and I wouldn't know where she was. But I got there, and there were double glass doors, and I looked in the doors, and she's sitting on a bench by the foyer. Her legs didn't reach the floor yet. She's swinging them back and forth as if she's just bored with the waiting. She figured her doofus father would figure it out and come back and get her, but he's really taking a long time. I cannot imagine the anxiety of those ten minutes being extended for three days. And how a worst case, best case scenarios played out in your head and got progressively worse. And so this passage hooks my anxiety about losing children. But it also goes back to my own history with this passage, the way it was presented to me. And they never used these words. But this was always my takeaway from what was said to me as a child and a teenager. See what Jesus did by the time he was 12? (laughs) Don't you feel badly about yourself? (laughs) So I have to kind of start over with this story. And I want to know what it is that Luke is saying with this story. And who he's talking to. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are always struggling. The threat of persecution always hangs in the air. And Luke's gospel features the poor and the pariah, the blind and the beggar, the marginalized and the alone. And he presents a gospel that overcomes the barriers that keep people from full belonging in the community of God. And he touches base with their heritage and the story that that Carol read for us a moment ago about a woman who brings her son to the temple, a poor boy in the temple, who's dedicated to God, and who hears the call of God and becomes a leader of the people, they would recognize that. They would apply that to Jesus. So in saying to them, Jesus is a great leader in keeping with our heritage, they'd get that. But he also used the form of ancient biographies that typically featured one childhood instance that demonstrated some character trait that would be demonstrated as an adult in full blue. It's very similar to a precocious Caesar story. Now, they couldn't go around saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That could get you killed. There was no freedom of speech. There was no freedom of religion. So they tell this innocent sounding story about a boy overstaying his welcome in Jerusalem and talking to the priests and the scholars they tell this story about anxious parents but at the end there is this statement I must be about my father's business in my father's place it's a veiled claim to being the son of God they would have gotten that because they were wrestling with who this Jesus is. And so to the story itself, Luke tells a dramatic story of heavenly beings and holy people who all seem to know where Jesus is and who he is. An angel announces an unplanned pregnancy, but everything's going to be okay. Older cousin Elizabeth is also going to have a baby, and she's supportive. Her husband doesn't believe it, and he gets struck dumb for that. Then the baby is born in a barn, and angels are singing on the hillside, and there's a big light show, and there are all these salty shepherds showing up, and everybody's amazed. The parents present Jesus at the temple because the law said the firstborn male was holy to the Lord, and they do that. And there, the Simeon and Anna are there, the elderly holy people who pronounce this child's great destiny, and then, and then nothing. No more angels on the hillside. No more choirs. No more dazzling light shows. Just going home like most of us as parents with no manual on how to put this squiggly little pile of flesh together as a human being, much less grow him into the savior. But they did the best they could as faithful people. And every year they did this Good thing they went to Jerusalem for the Passover, that celebration when they remembered the time in slavery and they celebrated their freedom. Also, a time for collective chafing under Roman rule and quiet dreams of another liberation. Twelve years old, it was a time of change. But then 12 years of age, you were, you were considered in this child category. And at 12, you're in the adult category. No extended adolescence, no driver's license, no graduating from anything. Just child, adult. And so Jesus is 12. And apparently he has no curfew. He uses his new status to explore and question and learn he can also see for himself the disparities between the wealth he sees around the temple and the beggars he sees in the streets, the disparities between the exercise of power and even bullying by Roman soldiers and the smoldering acquiescence of poor people. I wonder if Mary had ever told him about all the high expectations about him, Then there's a trip home. Traveling in caravans for safety. Seems that there have always been human vultures preying on the vulnerable. All day, they don't see him. And when they stop for the night, they start casually looking for him. But the longer the search, the greater the intensity. And the more the search, the greater the anxiety until it's just festering in their guts. He's not there. And ignoring the dangers of traveling alone, ignoring their own fatigue, they start back to Jerusalem, a trip that will take them all night in the dark, assuming they don't get mugged. The danger doesn't matter. The fatigue doesn't matter. It's their son who's missing. I can picture some of the things that Joseph might have said, well, he is an adult. Shut up, Joseph. He's my boy where could he be? Three days. Three days in the big city. Three virtually sleepless nights. Three days with nausea and fear gripping your stomach. Chasing rumors. Until one man says, well, you know, I think I saw a young fellow about what you're describing over at the temple talking back and forth with the teachers, giving as well as he got. And, uh, But Mary didn't hang around to hear the rest of it. She's in a dead sprint to the temple with Joseph right on her heels. And there he is. And she sees him through bloodshot eyes and a heart that races. And she feels the tears of relief and then the first wave of anger. She doesn't care about his amazing answers or his understanding beyond his years. She's so relieved that he's okay that she's about to kill him. And then she breaks out of the cultural norms. They lived in a kind of shame and honor society. And Jesus has brought shame to the family. He has dishonored them. And the honorable thing was that the father in the family would take Jesus aside in private and give him a stern talking to. But Mary's not having it. She's the one to whom the angel announced this birth and all these high expectations and all these responsibilities. She's done everything she knows to do, always second-guessing herself and with the angel so doggone silent. She's worked through 10 years of this, second-guessing. And she's found her voice. And she's not going to wait for Joseph to do the proper thing. Where have you been? And it better be good, mister. And she has just announced the family's shame publicly. The temple teacher sat there wide-eyed, silent, shocked. Raised eyebrows suggested their disapproval and their hope that this fierce Jewish mother is not going to ask them any questions. Well, Jesus answered her, but he didn't answer like a 12-year-old boy. He's moved from 12-year-old to adult and he responds like a rabbi. Answering a question with a question. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? But father to everybody there is Joseph. The guy with the callous carpenter's hands. And this is not a carpenter's shop. You see, there it is. Mary and Joseph have solved the mystery of where he is, only to be confronted with the mystery of who he is. And Mary didn't understand. How could things change so much in three days? At the end of Luke's gospel, this three day thing comes into play again. Jesus is missing for three days. Dead to them for three days, and then resurrected, alive again. How do you figure that? What do you do with that? Who is this Jesus? A frantic search for understanding and a veiled claim to being the Son of God. How are we to know who this Jesus is? Maybe this angry Jewish mother gives us a clue. It says she treasured these things in her heart. I think we all need someone who holds all that stuff about us. All the good stuff, all the bad stuff, all the confusing stuff, all the frantic searching stuff, all the stuff that may make sense at some time in the future, but not right now. All those unexpected things all the normal things, all the awkward stuff, somebody who holds all that stuff about us and holds it in a sacred place because they treasure us. And that sacred holding makes possible our growth. It says Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. I think that begins with Mary. So who holds all of your stuff? The good, the bad, the shameful. And who holds it in such a way that at some time you'll be free to look at it again and realize there was nothing to be ashamed of. It's just part of who you are. Maybe we need to hold the mystery of faith In a sacred place, knowing that we'll never figure out everything, but not giving up our thinking, our searching, but holding it and waiting for things to unfold. We tend to be such either or people, but what if we can be both and? We can hold and wait. Or perhaps we figure out who Jesus is by practicing God's business. You see, when I read this story, I hear Mary asking Jesus, Why aren't you where I think you should be, and why aren't you doing what I think you should do? Why aren't you the leader of my political party and doing my bidding? William Holman Hunt, an English artist, has a painting, The Finding of the Savior in the Temple. It's a beautiful scene. Seven rabbis sit in, under a covered porch at the Temple, and it could just as easily have been seven Baptist preachers. One of them holds the ancient scroll, and he treasures it, but his eyes appear to be blind. And another is looking toward him in the scroll, but he's not looking at this child Jesus, this young man, Jesus. And one leans forward in an aggressive posture as if he's the one been debating with Jesus until this angry Jewish mother showed up. And there's another sitting back and he's got all the accoutrements of piety and he seems like he's just waiting for people to notice how pious he is. And Mary has one arm around Jesus and one free hand. It looks like she might grab him by the ear at any moment. And off the scene almost unnoticed, on the steps to the temple, outside in the elements, sits a blind beggar. This same Jesus will grow into those angelic announcements about being the savior of his people. Years later, he'll announce his purpose, the recovering of sight to the blind proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke's gospel is about those who are on the margins and the Son of God who overcomes all the barriers so that people might experience the full belonging in God's community. Maybe when we practice that barrier-breaking acceptance and love, we discover more and more who this Jesus is. On Friday night at our Friday church service, I sat and talked with a woman who's sitting about where Marilyn is. She's on the other side of so many of those barriers. She's African-American. She's poor. She's alcoholic. Before the service started, we were talking, just shooting the breeze. And She asked me how my Christmas was. and. I said, well, nobody drew blood, nobody left in a huff, so I guess it was okay. And I said, how was your Christmas? And she said, I woke up sober on Christmas Day for the first time in 10 years. It was a good day. What if I asked her who Jesus is for her? The one helping her get well. The one saving her. After her own frantic time in the dark searching, she's being found. Each of us needs to ask Who's this Jesus for me? Amen.